0: And if you can turn to Acts chapter 16, that's uh, where we are still. As I mentioned in Sunny School, this section is sort of like uh, those old radio see, uh, series, the serials, you've got the cliffhanger, Paul's in prison, what's going to happen next? Not sure, some of the newer TV shows try to do that every weekends with a, <gasps> well, not all of the scripture is that way, but this passage is. So about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were fastened. What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, and your whole house with you. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them in the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we confess that at times we come to the scriptures with a skeptical mind. Uh, That we come with the spirit of pessimism uh, and cynicism that fills our age. And we are prone to it because of the corruption of our own hearts. Father, I ask that you would grant us grace to believe. The, The grace to believe that what it says actually happened. And the grace to believe that we can respond in a similar way. That this is not about the greatness of Paul. But convince us that this is about the greatness of the God he serves. The same one that we serve. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen can 't remember when I met Andrew Brunson, but I, uh, and i can 't remember the exact context, whether it was uh, Presbytery or General Synod or whatever, but uh, he was fundraising because uh, Andrew is a missionary to Turkey, planning a church, and at that point in time, uh, they had a a location they had a facility, and it was one that needed a lot of renovation so that they could do it now it was kind of astounding because, because of course. Uh, Turkey is a Muslim nation. They're not exactly the most welcoming to people like Christian missionaries like Andrew Brunson. But, for tw- over 20 years, Andrew has worked within Turkey, calling people to faith in Jesus Christ, and has essentially been unbothered by the local authorities. That changed. Shortly after the recent coup attempt, Andrew was arrested. Andrew was put in Turkish prison. And if you're of my generation, you have memories of Midnight Express going through your head. Turkish prison was the last place you wanted to end up. And yet, here is our brother, Andrew. They are on false charges of terrorism. actually a political pawn. Because you see, there's a Muslim cleric that is uh, an enemy of the state of Turkey who resides in the United States. And really what's going on here is the fact that they want an exchange. We'll give you this pastor if you give us that cleric. And so Andrew sits in prison. He had a hearing for his trial last week, uh, almost two weeks ago now. Fortunately, he's been moved to a uh, less guarded uh, or, or less severe prison. He was in one of their worst prisons until recently. But there he sits, waiting for deliverance. I, I bring him up because we should be praying for Andrew. But I also bring them up because there, Paul and Silas sat. There they were. Beaten. Falsely charged, just as Andrew was. In the most secure place within that particular prison. In the care of a man who was hard and cruel, to say the least. Our big idea this morning is that Jesus makes persecution an opportunity for the gospel. And I want to actually expand on that because I'm going to do that in the course of this sermon. Jesus makes affliction an opportunity for the gospel. Uh, But in this particular case, it's the affliction of persecution. And I want you to know that persecution cannot chain souls that are trusting in Christ. It's an important thing for us to grasp. It's an important thing for us to know. Here we have Paul and Silas, as I said, falsely accused. They had been stripped. They had been beaten. And now they are bound by their feet in the innermost chamber of this particular prison in Philippi. Philippi. This has been done for the sake of Jesus, and it has been done for the sake of the gospel. Because Jesus and the gospel have come face to face with the powers of this world. And the powers of this world do not take losing lightly. And so Paul and Silas, having set... Of this slave girl, free from the spirit of divination, have now found themselves enslaved, so to speak, within a prison. Consider for a moment the physical as well as emotional pain and discomfort that Paul and Silas were experiencing. And now I want you to put yourself in their shoes, just for a moment. What's your response? Are you filled with whining? Are you filled with fear? Are you filled with despair? Are you overcome with negativity? Because I don't deserve this. Am I going to get out of this place? If you're like me, you read the next sentence and there's a bit of unbelief. Because you know your own corruption. Because it says, about midnight, okay, middle of the night, Paul and Silas were not tossing and turning and and uh filled with insomnia. But Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Not worship and complaining. Sorry, not whining and complaining. But worship and singing. <laughs> now... What this means, in part, is confusing. It could be that they're alternating between prayers and between songs, or it could be the way in which they are praying is through these hymns. We can do that. Because the psalms themselves are often prayers, and so to sing them is to pray we're not sure if these uh the word hymns here is a technical term which would refer uh refer rather to uh, psalms 113 which we read already uh through 118 and then 136 whether it refers to those songs uh, or psalms or whether it's some of the early songs of the church like we will see in philippians chapter 2 the servant hymn of jesus So we're not sure exactly what songs they were singing. It could be either of those kinds of things. Okay? But what matters is, persecuted for Jesus, they continue to pray for help. They believed in a great Savior. And it's because they believed and a great savior, they continued to pray. They did not think they were forgotten. They did not think they were abandoned, but instead they knew that the God who had redeemed them from their guilt and condemnation would be able to deliver them from this earthly prison. And so they prayed. A great God will lead to great prayers. But if you have a small God, you will have small prayers. And that should convict many of us in this room. When we look at our prayers, we might see that we actually believe in a small God. Persecuted for Jesus, they not only pray, but they continue to sing hymns. Because they have a great Savior, they have great songs, and they're singing them. They're not silenced by their suffering, but they're emboldened by their suffering. How is this possible? I will say that this is possible Because the Holy Spirit, which was poured out upon the church in Pentecost, dwells within Paul and Silas. And that same Holy Spirit stirs them up to pray, as we see in places like Romans 8, and stirs them up to sing praises to Jesus just as much as he empowers them to bear witness. And we're going to see in a moment that the fact that they were praying and singing was, in fact, of itself bearing witness. This is not something that they stirred up within themselves. It's not something that they strove to do. Well, you know, Paul, yes, Silas, it's kind of stinky here right now. I mean, we're stuck, right? Yeah, I know, Silas. Maybe we should pray. Oh, man, let's give it a shot. But I think it's the power of the Holy Spirit working within them. So they, they couldn't be contained. That the chains that bound their feet and their hands could not constrain their hearts. And those hearts were filled with joy in salvation, and they sang, and they prayed for God's deliverance from this earthly situation they found themselves in. So we see that through the ministry of the indwelling Spirit, the Word of God, the Word of Christ, dwelt richly in them, as we see in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But here's the thing, be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? Paul says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Exactly what they're doing in prison. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Always giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, the Paul who wrote that in Ephesians 5 was experiencing that in the Philippian jail. He wrote a similar thing in Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And So there again, Word and Spirit join together so that the Spirit is prompting them to sing the Word of God and to sing about Christ and His salvation. And so I wonder... Do you know enough scripture to endure prison? I'm sure Andrew Brunson has had difficult days. But I imagine the best days were the days when he was drawing from his memory of scripture and rehearsing to Himself what God has done for Him in Jesus Christ through the Incarnation, through Jesus' perfect obedience on our behalf, through Jesus laying down His life for His people, through Jesus rising again from the dead, Jesus now ascended into heaven where He sits at the right hand of God the Father to pour out the Holy Spirit upon His people. Those are the good days. When He remembers that, And he rehearses that to himself, and maybe he has opportunity to whisper that through the under the door to the prisoners around him, I don't know. But do we know enough scripture, do we enough do we know enough songs to carry us through prison or affliction? Are we reading and feasting upon the Word of God? Are we chewing on it in our minds so that when that a day arises, and it may not be a prison cell, but it might be a hospital bed? Is it there for the Spirit to draw upon? It should be ready. Precisely because Paul expected persecution of some sort to find all who were committed to God. He says that in 2nd Timothy 3. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It doesn't mean you'll end up in jail but it does mean that there will be inconveniences in life that are directly related to the fact that you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. This world does not want you to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. The evil one does not want you to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And, dare I say, that the remaining corruption in you, as we've been looking at in Sunday school, does not want you to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And so there will be affliction, there will be persecution in some way, shape, or form. And Paul says, expect it, be ready for it, prepare for it. Not by building a great big wall around your house, not by making sure you have a whole lot of guns and ammunition stocked up and food for a 160-day siege but storing up the Word of God in your heart. That's how you prepare for it. Paul and Silas believed that Jesus was worthy of their suffering. They believed that He was a great God and Savior. And that's really the linchpin. If you don't think He's a great God and Savior, then none of the rest is going to take place. It all gets back to who do you think God is? And if you believe in a great God, then you take Him seriously, His word seriously, and you are, you think He is worth suffering for, which is what Paul and Silas believed. They didn't give up their faith because they were in the stocks and had been beaten by rods. Paul didn't give up the faith on the third shipwreck. Two I could take. Third one, not an enough. That's too much for me. They believed Jesus, who suffered for them, was worth suffering for. Paul and Silas also believed that God would deliver them, precisely because they believed that there was still work for them to do. That God still had a plan, God still had a way, and that while this might not seem to fit that particular way, uh, God was not done yet. And so they're praying for deliverance from this earthly trouble because they believe that God would and could deliver them. And so, because we're united to a great Savior and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can praise God in the midst of our affliction, which includes persecution. Secondly, I want you to know that persecution cannot chain the gospel. Paul and Silas, confined. Chains and stalks. But the gospel cannot be chained. It cannot be confined. There's a a law in California that's very controversial right now, and and really it's trying to protect the uh, LBGT community by prohibiting the sale of books that uh, indicate that that's not normal. That's not okay. They still allow the Bible to be sold, however. Word of God. You can get rid of all those Christian counseling books. It doesn't matter if the Word of God is loose in your state. Because the Word of God is a lion. It is alive and it is active. It is like a two-edged sword and it will do its work. It's a great thing. The Gospel cannot be chained. Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, which we already read this morning. But he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, so his gospel focuses on Christ, dead and risen. Christ, Son of David, focuses on these things, for which I am suffering. So once again, Paul is in prison when he writes to Timothy. Okay, Bound with chains as a criminal, he says, but the Word of God is not bound. They could lock up Paul... But they could not lock up his gospel. They could not lock up the word of God. And so here is, here are Paul and Silas in the innermost part of this jail and the prisoners were listening to them. The gospel was not chained, but it was going forth to sinners who needed to hear. And of course, we would all say that these guys are sinners. They're criminals for the love of Pete. Except, well, maybe some of them might be like Paul and Silas and are there unjustly. We don't know why those people were there. But we do know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So they need to hear the gospel. And there are Paul and Silas singing and praying loud enough to keep those guys awake... (laughs) to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. There are always going to be witnesses to your suffering and affliction. Don't ever forget that. I forgot that in the car last night as I had a moment of suffering and affliction. My children overheard. My wife rebuked me. Good wife, I got... What will they hear? Will they hear the whining? Or will they hear about a great Savior? You're only going to speak from the overflow of your heart. That's it. What's in there is going to be revealed when you're squeezed. I don't squeeze my toothpaste and expect gold to come out. I expect toothpaste. Because I'm ready to brush my teeth and go to bed. But what's in there is going to be what comes out. What will people hear? Uh, there's some news reports going around. I don't, I don't know because I didn't click on it because it looked like clickbait to me. But um, whether or not this particular story is true, I know stories like it are true. Um, the Christian who was waterboard, waterboarded for, by ISIS and 40 came to faith. I don't know if that's true. But I know of plenty of true times where Christians like Richard uh, Wormbrand have been tortured for Jesus Christ and those in cells around him and even those who tortured him have come to faith in Christ. Because no one can contain the gospel. And it is the power of God unto salvation in a way that we cannot comprehend In a way that goes beyond what we could ever imagine. This gospel. Even just Trudy. I don't know, she's not saying anything. But we keep hearing all these questions. Are you family? No, we're from our church. Oh, what church? And now some of those people are people that already go to church. But you know what? There are other people listening to that. And what they should hear is, that church takes care of its people. That church shows up. We don't see family, or we only rarely see family, but we see that church testifying to the gospel. Now, in the midst of their suffering, they're praying, they're singing. God's deliverance comes. There's an earthquake, and it shakes the foundations. It loosens the hinges on the doors, as such that they pop open. It removes. It's shaking so badly that the what the, the chains in the walls pop out. Free baby. I probably would be out of there so fast, you. You'd think I was the roadrunner and the, you know, beep, beep, boom. And that's kind of what Peter did. Although he, for him it was a dream when he the angel came when he was in prison and let him out. And so there are times when God leads out. But in this particular instance, Paul and Silas felt compelled to stay. And at first glance, I'm thinking, Idiots. Morons, maroons, why would you stay? And not only that, the other prisoners stayed. Why would Paul stay? Perhaps he doesn't want a manhunt to disrupt the city. Because if, he, you know, if all these guys flee, there's going to be a manhunt. And that might bring more trouble for the church. And so Paul might be staying put just because he doesn't want you know, Lydia and everyone else to be hassled. But there's also the question of the jailer. We see in Acts 5 uh, that after Herod did his investigation, the jailer was killed. It was common in Roman law that if a prisoner escaped... The jailer or the person who was keeping watch, the sentry, suffered the penalty that was due to that prisoner, and so this guy, this jailer, could be killed and if he's a, if he's a slave of the city, uh like he probably was i I think he was, that means crucifixion. And so this guy does what almost anyone would would probably do uh in his his shoes. I don't want to be crucified and so he grabs his sword and he's getting ready to kill himself because he thinks all the prisoners are gone and he's a dead man. He's like someone, you know, on the upper floors of the World Trade Center going, how do I want to die? Cause it's going to happen. Do I jump or not? That's his emotional state. And that's where Paul and Silas, nope, we're here. Don't worry. We haven't gone anywhere. You're safe. You're sound. Then he responds, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And that is a familiar sort of phrase in the Book of Acts, uh, and we see it in Acts chapter two, and we see it here, and we see it some other places. But remember his context. His context with the regional religions would have been: what sacrifices do I need to make for this? We could read this as: what do I owe you for not running away, for saving my skin? He's a jailer. You don't pick a nice guy to run the jail. You pick a strong man. You pick a hard man, particularly in those days. Now we have this idea of rehabilitation. They had no sense of rehabilitation. They're not looking for Steve Warner. (laughs) So I saw you guys all looking over there talking about that. He's not looking for a Steve Warner. You're looking for a bad man to do hard work. So he's thinking, okay, what do I owe you? Because now I'm in your debt because you didn't run away. And that, of course, is when Paul and Silas lay those amazing words upon him. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. He, he may have heard something about why they were there. He may have heard something about what the, uh, the slave girl was, was screaming and that they had this, some way of salvation but believing in the Lord Jesus Christ was not the answer he was expecting. You and your household was not what he was expecting. He was not expecting to hear about works, but he hears about faith. Sorry, he was expecting to hear about works, but he heard about faith. Faith, as J.I. Packer notes, self-abandoning trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Faith, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, resting on Christ alone as he is presented to us in the Gospel. You see, without being in prison, Paul and Silas would never have been able to witness to the men who were in prison and to the jailer and to his family. So what Satan often thinks will be the end of the church is often the extension of the church. Sometimes we 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 we're so fearful that we forget that God is greater. And the things that we're, we're afraid will lead to destruction actually, in reality, lead to an expansion of the gospel in ways that would be impossible without that. God sent Paul and Silas to prison to reach these hard-hearted slaves and criminals with His abundant mercy. He didn't send them as a prison ministry. <laughs> he sent them as prisoners. And sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our brains around that. But they didn't just say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. They then spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Uh, They they spoke the truth about who Jesus was. This Jesus who is God in the flesh. This Jesus who was perfectly obedient. This Jesus who is the the son of the woman sent to crush the head of the serpent. This Jesus who is the son of Abraham intended to be the blessing to the nations. This Jesus who is the son of David who is to be the king over all. This Jesus who died a criminal on a cross. This Jesus who rose again from the dead This Jesus who lives now forever and is seated at the right hand of God. This Jesus who pours out the Holy Spirit upon His people so they can be in places like this prison telling prisoners like you about Him and about the salvation, the forgiveness of sin, the adoption as sons. It's Jesus and so they unpack it all for him, probably going from creation into into the fall and in, then into the redemption that is won by Jesus. Uh, they preach the gospel to him that way, they explain it to them just as I explained it to you, but more in depth because you're, you need to go to ha- home and have lunch. Paul talks about this repeatedly. Pray for me also, he says in Ephesians 6, that the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. When Paul writes Ephesians, once again he's in prison. And once again, the chains aren't closing his mouth. And he's speaking boldly. This gospel. Now, as we think about this, this group, this audience that uh, Paul and Silas have, this is not the ideal target group for a new church plant. I'm sure Charles Garland did not come to Tucson and go, where can I find the worst of the worst? Cause that is my target audience. He's not getting himself arrested and tossed into the, the, the clink you know, to, to minister to prisoners there. <laughs> okay? And yet, oddly enough, this is what happens. God cares about those men. God cares about that family, that household. And in that time and that place, just as we see in uh Galatians 17... That's Galatians 17. I talk about Genesis 17. My brain is fried, apparently. The household was not just the sons. The household was also the servants. And so this guy had, was responsible for his family and possibly for servants of a household who lived there. And so all of these people are now hearing the gospel from Paul and Silas. Your understanding of the gospel is revealed by those you think who are worthy of your witness. And what this text would indicate is that Paul thought everyone was worthy of his witness. That there was no sinner so far off that, that they weren't offered the gospel. There should be no limits that we place on whom we give the gospel to. So Jesus' mission isn't derailed by persecution, but rather continues in the midst of our persecution or affliction. Thirdly, Jesus is in the chain-breaking business. Jesus is in the chain-breaking business. You see, they're called to put their faith in Christ as he's presented to them in the gospel and, the, and then be saved. But what are the gospel effects? What's the manifestation that they believed? Okay, The first thing that, that Luke mentions is he washed their wounds. This was a guy who a few hours earlier couldn't care less about the fact that they'd been beaten. Their wounds were of no interest to him whatsoever. And now, he cares about their wounds. He wants to tend them, and he exhibits tender care to them. The gospel transforms hard-hearted, uncaring people into tender-hearted, merciful people. That's one part of it. The next Luke accounts he was baptized at once. He and all his household. They they identified with Christ as Savior in the waters of baptism. Now, when we look at this text, we, we see clearly that the jailer believed. And so just as we saw with Lydia and her, her household, we have the same issue. There's silence as to whether or not the rest of the family believed. But all of them were baptized. But I was in my office, I started scratching my head and I, start, you know, I started thinking. I said, where were they baptized? Because, you know, um, the average house didn't have a bath. Right, the public baths. And in Philippi, there are a couple of public baths, and uh, one of them, they've got the uh, the archaeological dig there, and it's the uh, Valenia, and it's right off the Ingasia Way. So that main trade road that went all the way across the Roman Empire, right there next to it was one of the public baths, which would be really helpful for travelers, right? Sort of like those rest stops that have showers on the highway for truckers. Because you know you can sleep in your truck, but can't really bathe in your truck. So, where did they go? There may have been a well or a fountain that was there, not necessarily made for bathing in. So it may have been a situation where they are or experienced baptism by. Pouring or sprinkling. That basin that he used to tend their wounds may have been the same basin that Paul would then use to wash him with the waters of regeneration, so to speak, from Titus chapter 3. We're not sure where they were baptized, and so we're not sure if it was possible for them to immerse them. That is one of those things that gets stuck in that little box there, and we ponder for a bit. Okay? So, he washed their wounds, he he was baptized at once with his whole household, and he brought them into his house and set food before them. Now, Steve, did you ever take a prisoner home with you? Never. I'm glad to hear that. That would have been career ending and potentially life-ending. This jailer risked a lot by bringing Paul and Silas into his home there on the premises and then feeding him. The jailer didn't feed you. Your friends brought you food. And so he's showing hospitality, just like Lydia. Hospitality to the one who's given them the words of life. And now he gives them food to eat. uh, Fourthly, he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed. Again, there's that idea. He believed. We don't know if they believed, but they did rejoice. They were rejoicing with him over this. The household rejoiced in his faith and rejoiced in the new man that Jesus made. The chains are gone. On that man's life, the chains that no one could see. He rose forth and followed thee. I got all these songs jumbled in my head right now about chains being gone, whether it's uh, amazing The Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, and And Can It Be, and all of these things. But not Unchained Melody. That's not there. But we have to put this within the context of how Paul understands the gospel in places like Titus 2. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession, who are zealous for good works? This man seems one who has been redeemed and is now zealous for good works. We see it similarly in Titus chapter three. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Now, he's not talking about the jailer, but that sounds an awful lot like I would imagine the jailer to be. Someone who was foolish, someone who was likely a slave, not just by his own enslavement, but the, but spiritual enslavement to uh, sin, who probably had a lot of malice and envy, who hated people and wasn't liked. He was probably the bully in school. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. We are not saved by good works, but as we see in these passages as well as Ephesians 2.10, we are saved to do good works. No one, I don't think, is telling this jailer to do it. But it's because of the spiritual change that has taken place in this man. His heart of stone has been removed. There's a heart of flesh that's been put in. And now he wants to do this, even though no one tells him he has to do this. Spontaneous responses of faith prompted by the Holy Spirit, not something that are conjoled out of him. Uh, Fortunately, I have another Charles Garland mentioned this morning. Don't tell him. We were talking a little bit at Presbytery. I can't remember how it came up, but it did. And uh, he jokingly said that, "Well, you know, I could guilt people into into volunteering for things here." And I said, "Nah, I don't want to do that." He said, "Well, there's always shame." <laughs> said, Those are the two best tools in a pastor's box. He was joking, I think. It's got to be the gospel. Where the people of God are volunteering because the Spirit of God is moving in them to be zealous to good works. Not because they're being strong-armed and everything else by pastors and elders and things. But maybe we need to pray that that spirit works in our church to a greater degree. That the gospel is more effective and at work in us. Well, prison doesn't mean that Jesus abandoned Paul and Cyrus. Prison, hospital beds, cancer wards... Those don't mean that God has abandoned you. If your heart has been set free, you will still pray, you will still praise Jesus in the midst of your affliction, and Jesus will use you to bear witness to Him and His gospel in and through your affliction. You might see people coming to faith and manifesting the fruit of repentance that only the Spirit can spontaneously produce in a sin-hardened heart. Which life are you preparing for now? The one that praises God even in the darkest of nights? Or the one that's just ready to shrink back at the slightest ruffling of a leaf? Where are you going? And does it need to change? Change. Only Christ can change that. Cry out to him. Just like that jailer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are not predictable. That you are one who works all things for good. For those who love you. And who are called according to your purpose. That that you work in and through very dark, hard things. For our good and for our salvation and the salvation of others. Help us to rest in this. Help us to trust you. Help us to know that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And therefore to be bold and to be confident and trusting. Help us to realize to a greater degree the great God and Savior that we have. So that our hearts will be filled with more praise and prayer than they they are cursing and complaining. so that we're adorning the gospel that we're telling people about. Only you could do that. I pray you would do that. That you do great works within our hearts, refashioning and remolding us so that we're zealous for you because we see how zealous you were for us. And all we want to do is love you back. So be gracious to us in that way as well. In Jesus' name, amen.